Hello, can you hear me? Testing, testing, one, two, three. Excellent. Um, if you're new to the church, my name's Matt, and uh, I'm one of the leaders, uh, community group leader. I also work full-time for a mobile phone company. Uh, I'm a finance manager there. And um, today I'm going to be talking the next on us in our series on KCC culture. So we did a, a series on our, our vision, and can everybody remember what the vision was? What was the first point? His presence. Good. The second one? Our community, you got it. Third? Their hope. hope. Good, excellent. So that was the vision, and now we're moving on to talk about our culture. What sort of culture do we want so that hopefully God can make that vision that he's given us so strongly a reality? So today I'm going to be talking about generosity. Always uh, a good subject to talk on. And I'm going to take a slightly different tack today. So usually, how many points do I usually come with? Three, yeah, that's right. Today I'm going to do uh, something a little bit different. So for those of you that came to Catalyst, did anybody go to Catalyst here? Well, that's a big Christian festival, and there was a guy there called Dave Devonish, who is kind of an apostolic guy who leads a lot of the churches uh, that we're, we're kind of in partnership with. And he basically did a storytelling approach. So he used an Old Testament story of Esther, and then off the back of that storytelling, he then drew out points. So that's the kind of approach I'm going to take today. So uh, it could go pear-shaped, but uh, you all prayed for me, so I'm sure God will do something. So if we, uh, if we start with the next... Uh, Next slide. Everyone recognize this guy? I think it might be H from Steps, but the character he's playing, which is more important, <laughs> is Joseph. So who's seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? Original. Original, old school, like it. So uh, we're going to start our story here with Joseph. So many of you probably know this story. I'm not going to go into it in detail, but Joseph effectively... Um, was sold by his brothers uh, as, into slavery. He then went to Egypt. He was then accused wrongfully. He then went down to the prison in a pit. And God basically exonerated him. He, and then he was lifted up. And he basically became second in command to the Pharaoh at that time. So a man of prominence. A man who was in Egypt. But the point I want to draw out from this story is, at the very end, even though his brothers had sold him into slavery, they'd done all these wicked things against him, there was a big famine in the land. And then they had to go to Egypt. And then when they were in Egypt, they fell before Joseph and just begged his forgiveness. And he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And God turned it around and he was able to forgive his brothers. So next slide. Next part of the story. This is the, uh, the slavery. So hundreds of years after Joseph, then the Egyptians, basically, they, uh, I think Joseph was forgotten at this point. And the uh, Israelites basically fell into slavery. So the Egyptians were using them to do their manual labor. And they didn't even give them the right materials so that they could do it properly. They really had to break their backs doing the work for Pharaoh. And then most of you probably know what happened next with the whole curses being brought upon Egypt. And Moses basically came before the Pharaoh and said, let my people go. God says, let my people go. And then uh, it collapsed culminates in the next slide, which is the deliverance. So God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And uh, that's one of our main characters there. His name is? Moses, Moses, yes. I think that is probably um, the Charlton Heston, yeah, in the film, Ten Commandments there. So basically, God did this amazing miracle. And most of us probably have, have heard this story before, but Moses held out his staff and the Red Sea was parted, and the people of Israel were able to go through this, this amazing kind of tunnel of water and get to the other side. And then when Pharaoh, who changed his mind and started to chase them with chariots and was on their tail, then the waters collapsed again, and they were delivered by God powerfully. Okay, so they had Moses. That was their key kind of... That's one of the key characters in this story. So who's our equivalent in the next... So says David Rigby, who is the lead elder in our church. So uh, he doesn't have a beard like Moses is always typically characterized, but he's a good bloke, so we're in good hands here. And uh, the next part of the story, if we just uh, flick on to the next one. So how did God provide for the, the people uh, of Israel? Well, you'd think after they'd seen this amazing miracle, the parting of the Red Sea that they would be pretty trustworthy and pretty optimistic that, you know, God's going to hook them up and make sure that they've got all the provisions that they need. But 
they were pretty moany. Um, basically, they grumbled a lot, and they were like, oh, Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Oh, now we've got no food. We're all going to die in the desert. We're all going to starve. This is dreadful. Why did you bother? It would have been better in Egypt. I oh, know we were slaves, but at least we had something to eat. But what did God do? God bought the manna, the manna from heaven. And we don't really kind of know what it is. I think the very kind of definition of manna is, what is it? They weren't quite sure what it was. But basically, um, God made it so that they could gather this manna. They had enough provision for that day. But if they tried to store it up, it spoiled. So there were maggots and it kind of rotted. And the idea was that God wanted them to fully trust in him as their provider. So God provided that. So next slide. So the next thing that they were moaning about, oh, fine, we've got something to eat now with the quails and the manna, but now we're thirsty, we've got nothing to drink. What, we're going to die out here of, of drought, and this is dreadful. Moses, why did you bother bringing us up out of Egypt? Well, again, God does an amazing miracle. So God uh, commands, or commands Moses to um, strike the rock with the, the staff, and then out of it flows all this water. An amazing, miraculous provision from God for the people of Israel whilst they were in the desert. Now, next one. So, who's been to a lifting the staff prayer meeting here in our church? Yeah? Well, there's a picture, the kind of logo, and it's of this scene. So, it's where Moses is, um, he's holding up his staff, and the idea was, basically, they're fighting a big battle out there in the background. So, the leader of the uh, opposition is a guy called Amalek. And he's got a huge army, and in the natural, they just wouldn't be able to win. So they'd be completely overpowered, uh, outnumbered. They had no chance. But what happened here is it was a kind of spi- there was a spiritual dynamic to this battle. And as Moses lifted up his staff, it, they found that they were, against all the odds, able to beat and overcome the forces of Amalek. And um, Moses, you know, he was an old guy. As you can see there, he's looking quite tired and, uh, you know, he's got his white hair and everything, he started to get tired. So he was just, you know, as you would do if you're holding up a staff for hours. So then what happened was people came alongside him to lift up this staff. And that's the idea behind our prayer meetings, lifting the staff. So when David's in Russia or people are doing things in the town center, we pray for them because there is a spiritual dynamic to the things that we're doing as a church. So shameless plug there, go along to the lifting the staff prayer meetings. Okay, so... God basically helps them uh, as a result of this, and they're able to defeat Amalek. And then God declares that um, he is their banner. So he is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, their banner. And it's this idea of a military banner that goes above. And he, he helped them, basically, and he helped them to defeat their enemies and to progress. Okay, next, uh, next slide. This one's a bit of an obscure one. I couldn't really find a good picture to depict it, but effectively, this is Moses talking to Jephro, um, who was his father-in-law, and Jephro came along and then realized that all of the people of Israel, like I said, they were a moany lot, and they just, they didn't seem to be able to do anything for themselves. They're just, every little problem, every trifling issue, they would come to Moses and say, Moses, this person's stolen a chicken off me, and he's, you know, he owes me, uh, a snake or something, and every little, small, tiny, annoying thing, they would come to Moses, and it was wearing the guy out. I mean, like we saw before, he couldn't lift the staff for too long, because he's, you know, he's getting old, and he was getting tired. So Jephro comes alongside and says, Moses, this is not good. What you need to do is get able men, select able men, and get them to be rulers and leaders over thousands, over hundreds, and over fifties, and over tens. So basically, the weight, the full weight, wasn't on Moses. He could rely on good men, able men, to support him. If there was a big issue, you know, like a massive, uh, a massive issue or decision that needed to be made, yes, they'd come to Moses. But other than that, he set able men around him so that, so that it was more manageable for him. Okay, next one. Everyone know this scene? What's he got in his hands? The Ten Commandments, excellent. So uh, let's just, quick, quick uh, Bible knowledge quiz. Ten Commandments, let's go through them. Who knows what they are? Anyone got one? Raise your hand if you know one of the Ten Commandments. Go for it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yes. Robin. Uh, don't steal. Don't steal, good. Manjit. Honor thy father and thy mother. 
Yes, Rose had that one. She's put her hand down. She's got another. She's got another. Good. Had don't steal, but we love you. We'll let you off. False witness. Yes. Rob? Dom, speak to him afterwards, would you? All right, we've got most of them. So they were no, no other gods but God. He was the one true God. Don't have any idols. That was number two. Don't take God's name in vain as another. Keep the Sabbath. That was the seventh day. It was holy. Honour your parents, which we had, which was the first uh, commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you in the land. Um, no murder. Did we have that one? No adultery. No stealing. No false witness. And no coveting. So no uh, coveting what your neighbour has. And um, in modern times, people have come up with what a representation of this would look like in 2014. So if we jump to the next slide. (laughs) This is is Moses with the tablets. um, Next slide. So we're moving on. So he's given the Ten Commandments up in uh, the mountain when he's with God. And then God gives this this idea of building a tabernacle. So that is the tabernacle, which um, you've probably heard of the temple, which was a a fixed structure. The tabernacle was kind of like a a kind of semi-permanent structure. It took a long time to build and it was quite elaborate, uh, but it wasn't a kind of fixed temple. When When they moved in the land in the desert closer to the promised land, uh, you know, they had to take it apart and and rebuild it. But the idea behind this tabernacle was that God wanted to be with his people. God wanted to dwell amongst them. They didn't have a king like some of the other uh, tribes around them. God wanted to be their king, and God wanted to dwell in their midst. And so he he gives Moses the idea of building a tabernacle. And that is the crux of of our story, which we're kind of going to go into detail in a bit more now. So, uh, God basically explains in great detail the different elements of this tabernacle, almost painstaking detail, what it should be made of, exactly the measurements, uh, in some circumstances, who exactly was to do the work and build it. So, God is very detailed about this. And we'll go through some of the items. Um, So, the next one is, anyone recognize this? What's this? Somebody's been watching Indiana Jones, yes. And the... uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, so that is the Ark of the Covenant. So the tablets that we saw earlier that Moses brought down were, were kept in here uh, along with a couple of other uh, sacred things. And uh, this kind of part with the cherubim up the top is re- referred to as the mercy seat. And so when they brought offerings, um, uh, they would spill the blood upon that mercy seat and make an offering um, to God. The next one. This is the lampstand. So uh, God said, make a lampstand. And the idea was that they would have oil burning at all times. And this is you know, made of pretty much solid gold. It's really you know, ornate. And the, the directions, the description that God gave for building it were very precise. Um, and you probably recognize that. That's quite often you know, a, a symbol that you uh, associate with Jewish people, etc. Next one. What was this one? Catchphrase, say what you see. What is it? It's a table, correct. So this was the table. Uh, no more complicated than that. And on the table is the bread. So this was showbread that was used for various ceremonies uh, and, and things like that. Also, again, covered in gold. So uh, next one. Anyone recognize this guy? Who's this? What was his name at this point in time? Aaron, yes. Got some uh, good Bible scholars out there. So this is the garment that God designed for Aaron. And uh, you can't really tell from this picture, because this is the best that a Google image could do, but it's got onyx stones uh, in the breastplate here, and it's got other stones, and it's overlaid with gold, and he has a turban, and it's all symbolic, and uh, was all kind of representative of the tribes of Israel. It was very ornate, and uh, would have cost a lot to make. So Aaron had this as a garment, and then Aaron's sons, who were the priests that kind of um, worked in the tabernacle, had garments as well, kind of robes and things. Next one. Okay, so this is the idea of burnt offerings. So at this point in time, they had to bring offerings. So they would slaughter uh, a ram or a bull, and uh, they would make burnt offerings to the Lord. Um, it says in Exodus 29, um, 
burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. So there's this idea that they had to make atonement for their sins. They had to sacrifice and shed blood in order to, to make atonement for their sins. Next one. Okay, this is the idea of a ransom being paid. So everyone had to bring a half a shekel. So that is supposed to be a half a shekel that they're holding there. And the idea was that it was uh, kind of like a payment, a ransom for their soul. They had to pay this. And then this money was then used uh, f- to uh, facilitate the tabernacle and the people that worked there. So for the service of the tabernacle. So every single person had to bring a half a shekel as a ransom for their soul. Okay, the next one. This is the basin. So this was made of uh, solid bronze. And uh, the idea was that they had to do lots of ceremonial washing. So there's this real idea of kind of uncleanness and, and kind of sin and it, how it affects us. It contaminates, it stains. And so they had to do all of this ceremonial washing. So this is the basin um, that was in the tabernacle. And before they could go and do anything in you know, service to God in that tabernacle, they had to wash and do all sorts of ceremonial washing. Okay, next one. This is the idea of anointing oil. So they had anointing oil. And at this time, um, there were only certain people that were anointed. So Moses was obviously anointed. The priests and certain people were anointed. But there, this, this oil was, uh, was specially made, so they had to get perfumers. Uh, apo- 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 how do you pronounce it? apothecary people who would devise this, this special blend of, uh, of spices and oils in order to be able to, to make this anointing oil, which was only for certain people and in certain situations. Okay, next one. So, this is uh, obviously in modern times, but at the time in our story, in Exodus 31, God names out a, a specific person called does anyone know who to do the work in the tabernacle and to do all the craftsmanship? Anyone know his name? Hmm? Bezalel, yeah, 10 points for that man. So it says in Exodus 31, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, in silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. So this is this idea of God calling specific people with specific talents and gifts to do specific works for him. And it also said then in Exodus 31.6, so the next verse, it talks about able men. So you had people like Bezalel. He was particularly gifted in craftsmanship. But you also had regular able people who were able to do things. So they could lift things, they could carry things, they could do certain kind of stonemasonry work, other generic things they could do. But for certain things, like the crafting of the, uh, the uh, lampstand and all those other things that we, we showed before, God gifted specific people to do that. Bezalel being one of them. Okay, next one. What's going on here? This is the golden calf, yeah. So whilst Moses is up having all these discussions with God and God is, uh, God is saying about how he is, you know, he's wanting a tabernacle so that he can presence with his people, what are the people doing down, down the mountain? Well, again, like I said, they were moaning and they were like, oh, Moses has been gone up that mountain for ages. He could have died for all we know. And so they start badgering Aaron, you know, make us something, make us a golden calf that we may worship it, uh, as if it was the golden calf that actually delivered them from Egypt. So this is the scene of of them down the mountain, um, worshipping this golden calf, which obviously breaks one of the commandments that we talked about earlier, about loving the Lord your God and having no other gods or idols but him. Meanwhile, um, next one. So... This is the idea of God's presence. Again, that's a depiction of uh, the tabernacle. And whilst Moses is having this conversation with God, uh, it talks about how God wanted to be present with his people. So in Exodus 33, 14 onwards, it says, And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, 
I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. So this is the idea that God, despite the fact that they were doing that with the golden calf and all of that, was faithful to them, and he promised that his presence would go with them. Okay, next one. So, what God actually shows restraint. So it would have been, um, you know, he would have been perfectly just if he destroyed all of the people down there that were worshipping that golden calf after what they did. But he showed restraint and um, didn't bring great disaster upon them, although a lot of them did die, um, but he could have wiped them all out. He would have been perfectly just to do that. But this is Moses coming down from the mountain and his face shining. So I don't know if it quite looked like that. This is obviously an artistic representation. But in uh, Exodus 34, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So he basically gets down from the mountain. He's so, been so enraptured by the glory of God, the presence of God, and just talking face to face with a God that knows him by name, that his very face, his very countenance is shining as he comes down the mountain and back to the people. But the people were freaked out by this, so they couldn't handle it. This, you know, if it really did look like that, you'd be freaked out, wouldn't you? If he came down the mountain. So what Moses had to do when he was um, with the people, he wore a veil on his face so that people didn't see this shining. But then when he went back to spend time in the presence of God and face to face with God, uh, he took the veil off and enjoyed the fullness of that. Okay, next one. So... This, I know it's a bit difficult to read, but these are basically all of the materials that were needed for the building of the tabernacle. So you've got gold there, you've got silver, you had all sorts of fabrics, purple fabrics, blue fabrics, Uh, you had, um, as I said, all of the, the different skilled people that would be needed to make it. So Moses makes a plea to the people uh, for a contribution. This is in Exodus 35, and it says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Okay, if we jump to the next one. So this is the culmination of, um, of our story today. Remember, we're looking at generosity, and I'm just going to read this out in, uh, in its entirety. It's, it's only a couple of paragraphs, but um, it really speaks of the people's generosity. So in Exodus 35, it says, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, bought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze bought it, as a contribution to the Lord. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work bought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all bought what they had spun in purple and blue and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices, and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, 
whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, bought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft." And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroider in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the contribution of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had bought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command. The word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do the work and more. Wow. Amazing. Imagine if David Rigby had to stand here and say, Stop! King's Community Church, what are you doing? Too generous! Put that down. Oh, you. No, stop. Too generous. What a picture. Okay, so if we just jump to the next slide, that is the end of our story today. Did you enjoy it? Good. Now, as Dave Devonish points out, in a majority of cultures across the world, people learn through stories. So hopefully the storytelling there, the pictures, just some of the images, has helped us to to kind of get to grips with this story. And most of you have probably picked up various points uh, on the topic of generosity as I've told that story. Um, Amen? Did anyone pick up a few? Got a bit of inspiration there. That's good. But some of us, um, particularly in Western cultures, also need concepts to be able to understand things. So Dave Devonish kindly helped us at Catalyst by giving us a few points just off the back of the story uh, so that people could understand and kind of practically apply it as well. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, quite kind of timely, the, or, um, you know, the book that Dom gave to Jack, what was it called again? Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. Through the Old Testament. So who's been to some of Dom's sessions on the Old Testament? Yeah? Have they been good? You would say that with him sitting right here, but... uh, Um, Well, Dom's been talking about the Old Testament and its relevance, and I think sometimes we can put these Old Testament stories to one side and say, are they really relevant to us now as New Testament, New Covenant believers? Well, actually, yes, they are, because the whole point of the Old Testament is that it foreshadows and it points. And what does it point to? Jesus. And that's what I want to draw out from this story, that the Old Testament points to Jesus. And I'm just going to quickly go through some of the ways that the story that we heard earlier point to Jesus and what he would do. So Joseph's forgiveness. Remember, Joseph forgave his brothers, despite the fact that they sold him for silver. Well, Jesus was sold for silver as well. Uh, Joseph is regarded as a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus in that regard. He also went down into the pit, and obviously Jesus was put into the, the, the grave for three days before he rose again. So Jesus lavished forgiveness on his brothers. And that is a picture of how Jesus forgives us, isn't it? When we come, we know we've done wrong. We come before him just as his brothers knew they'd done wrong. They came prostrate before him and he forgave them. That is a picture of Jesus and what he does for us. So the people were enslaved in Egypt. And what were we slaves to before Jesus came and saved us? Sin. We were slaves to sin. And how did God deliver the Old Testament people? Well, they went through 
the water. They went through the Red Sea. And Jesus, in the same way, delivers us from sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. They were provided for with the manna and with the quail and with the water. And Jesus provides for us in miraculous ways. Remember the story with Moses where they're holding their hands up and there was, they were empowered through prayer? Well, we're empowered through prayer. That's why we put such an emphasis on corporate prayer meetings. Because if we're really going to do the vision that God's called us to be, to be a people of his presence, to be a people that have loving community, and to be a people that reach out with his hope, well, we've got to pray, people. We need to be empowered through prayer just as they were. They, God declared that he was their banner, like a military banner over them, that he would fight for them. Well, the New Testament talks about how in Jesus we are more than conquerors. So we don't even have to do the fighting. When you've got issues in your life, you can commit them to the Lord and watch the Lord fight for you. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus. They had the law on tablets that were brought down on stone by Moses from the mountain. Well, Jesus gives us his spirit on the inside of us. And Jesus puts the law on our hearts. How much better is that, that we don't have to be bound by the law, but instead we can live by the Spirit? That in the tabernacle, they had this this idea where um, God's presence was just in a certain uh, certain place. So it was in, in the very back part of the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. That was where the very manifest presence of God was. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? He said, it is finished. And at that very moment, what happened? The veil was torn, exactly. And a huge symbolic act. So in the temple, this huge veil that would have covered the complete back half, separating the Holy of Holies, torn completely in two. And that's because now the presence of God isn't just in specific places and with specific people. The very presence of God, we can all access it now because of his blood that he shed for us. They had to make sin offerings. They had to kill rams and bulls and make offerings. And continually, it wasn't just a one-time thing. They had to continually bring these offerings at various points in the year. Well, we've got the blood of Jesus. And he didn't have to die twice. He died once and for all and for all eternity. He was the sin offering that took upon himself the propitiation. He became the propitiation for our sin, which means that... Our sin was actually put onto him and he took it away from us and put it onto himself. Jesus and the blood of Jesus was the one-time eternal offering. They had the lampstand. Remember the, uh, the ornate lampstand with the seven uh, kind of handles? Well, Jesus is the light of the world. They had the showbread and Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness, but we can't attain it. Well, Jesus is the bread of life. He was righteous and he can attribute that righteousness to us through faith in him. They had the incense which burnt and we are the fragrance of Christ. When you go about in your day-to-day life, you spread the fragrance of Jesus wherever you go. You're like that incense as you go into your workplaces, as you go doing your your life. You are spreading Jesus and who he is. They had the food offerings, so grain offerings and, and various other offerings. And Jesus was able to take five loaves and two fish from a little boy that was willing to give and feed 5,000 men and all the women and children that were there as well. Remember they had to bring the half a shekel ransom, the coins that they were all bringing as a ransom for their souls. Well, Jesus is our ransom. Jesus paid the debt that we owed, that we could not pay because of our sin. Jesus paid it. You are bought with a high price, the New Testament says. You can get happy at any point, to use a Simon Holly phrase. This is all good stuff. They had the bronze basin for washing. Remember the ceremonial washing that they had to do? Well, Jesus cleanses us from all sin, all unrighteousness. Some of you may remember when David had that prophetic word about with the towels. And that's what, that, that was a picture of this, that Jesus cleanses us from all sin, all unrighteousness. We don't have to go through all of this ceremonial washing with water physically now because Jesus has done that for us. He has cleansed us. They had the anointing oil, but the anointing oil was just for certain people that were anointed to work in the temple and such. Well, Jesus anoints every one of us and puts his spirit on the inside of us. They had God's presence in a certain way, but God dwells in our very being by the spirit of Christ, by the Holy Spirit. Moses had to wear a veil 
to try and uh, diminish the, the radiance and the glory when he was with the people. Whereas in the New Testament, it talks about how we, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. God is changing us from the inside out. We're being transformed because of Jesus. We're to be imitators of Jesus. Jesus is generous in every way. He gave everything for us, including his very self on the cross. He rescued us from Satan, sin, and death. So, how should we respond? Don't have to answer. I'll tell you in a moment. And I've been talking a while, so I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly, but I've got three T's, so triple T, T3... We can respond with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. So let's start with time. In the story that we heard, the people gave their time to building the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place of God's presence, and we want to be a people of his presence. It's even there. The first one on our vision statement is so important to us. So how can we be generous with our time? Well, in church life, you can go to prayer meetings, corporate prayer meetings, like I said. We can lift the staff, we can pray, we can see God move, and we can see God change us, which is almost as important as petitioning him to do the things that we believe he's called us to do. We can belong in a community group, so we heard about that in the notices. If you're not in a community group, or you're fringy, you don't often go, you can com- commit your time, you can be generous with your time in going to the community group, because as Dom said, we believe in body ministry. In the New Testament, the church is described as a body with various different parts. If one part isn't there, then the body's missing something. Whether you're a hand, whether you're an eye, whether you're a toe, if you don't go to community group, then they're missing something of the contribution that you can bring. And also with setup, so community group setup, coming here at nine o'clock isn't easy when uh, you know you've had a busy Saturday. But it's giving God your time because you're so, you're so passionate about the presence of God that you want to be dedicated to doing that. So don't show up at 10.30 and be like, oh, sorry, I forgot. We were on setup today, weren't we? There are various ways which you can serve in the church as well. So there's creche who desperately need more people to volunteer. So we don't exactly know what's going to happen uh, with creche if we don't have more people coming in to, to volunteer, to serve in that way. There's kids' work, there's youth work, there's the worship team, there's the audiovisual teams. Like Mike gave a plug earlier, you might not think that you're particularly gifted. So here we're focusing on the time. So for things that don't need you to be specifically gift, gifted, maybe you're not a Bezalel, maybe you, aren't, maybe you look at that mixing desk thing like I do and you freak out and go, whoa, what is that? I could not use that because you're not technical. But there are things that you can do. Chris posted on Facebook recently how he just needed willing people, people to give their time. If you can lift something, if you can move something, he needed your help. Were you able to respond to that and to be generous with your time? Mission week. Do you see that as a time to you know, put your feet up and relax? We've dedicated a mission, a whole week where we don't have community groups, and we love community groups, we believe in them, but we're willing to make that sacrifice so that we could invest time in relationships with people that don't yet know Jesus. Have you been using that time wisely, or have you just been using it as a week off? For events that we put on, we try and support the church by orchestrating events. So we had the Here We Are event that Dom led, and that was brilliant. Loads of of acts and different people, and people serving in that way. And we had the... um, the Give It A Go event where we took pictures of people with the uh, World Cup trophy. And we got out there in the community to try and share a little bit of who we are and to invite people. Do you give your time to those things or are you the last one to put your hand up and say, yeah, I'll come and man a stall. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come and help out with that. That'd be great. And we don't want this kind of separation between the sacred and the secular. So there's this misconception that um, God cares more about what David Rigby is doing out in Russia at the moment than he does about you when you're in your nine-to-five job. That is not true. God has gifted you, and God cares about your whole life. In fact, it's much less about what we do here on a Sunday, but what we do when we go out of those doors and in our normal lives. Do you honour God in your workplace? Are you lazy? Uh, Dom's given some good talks about that. You know, it, it, the picture in Proverbs of the sluggard. Is that you at work because you think, oh, you know, I'm only working at Asda. God doesn't really care about this, does he? He only cares about spiritual things. So 
Do you, I'm not going to bother here, really. No, God cares about every aspect of our lives. And we can't all be in full-time ministry. It's great that some of us can. But for those of us that aren't, whatever you're doing, whether it's volunteering, whether it's working, honour God with your time. Be generous with your time. Volunteering to bless our community. So we have space here, great opportunities. And there are loads of ways that you can volunteer. You could volunteer at the food bank. So we, 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 uh, we contribute to that. And you could also go and help out in the distribution of food to people that are needy. But also we need to make time for fellowship and friendship. So do we forgive like Jesus in our friendships? So that picture of Joseph where he forgave his brothers and how Jesus has richly forgiven us. Are we, are we generous with our forgiveness? Do we encourage like Jesus? Do we take the time to call someone and say, ah, oh, I just wanted to say what you did the other day for me. I really appreciate it. That was excellent. Thank you. Do we do that? Do we encourage one another? Do we pray for and with people? Coming to prayer, corporate prayer meetings is great, but do we pray for people in our personal walk with God? And do we pray with people? When you meet up with someone, can you pray together? Let's just encourage that culture of spending time praying. So it's not just a one-off event, but it becomes something of the fabric of the KCC culture. And disciple, are you being discipled and are you making disciples? Do you have someone that comes alongside you to encourage you? Someone that you spend time with to encourage you in your walk with God, to take you from where you are to where God is wanting you to be? And similarly, do you give your time to people? Do you spend time with people? developing them, nurturing them, just encouraging them, because we want to be a people of disciples of Jesus and making disciples. Amen? So that is time. Next one, talent. So here by this, I know talent was a monetary unit uh, in the Bible in some cases, but here I'm talking about gifts, skills, abilities. So Bezalel was gifted. He was talented. Look at all the things he could do. He was multi-talented. He could craft stones. He could work with wood. He could do all sorts of things. Do we bring our talent to Jesus as an offering and are we generous with it? Now, this might be that God has gifted you with the talent to be a specific office within the church. So you might be called to be an apostle. You might be called to be a prophet. You might be called to be an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. Do you honor God with that gifting that he's placed on the inside of you, with that talent and that potential that he's given you? Do you do, are you being trained? Are you being nurtured? Are you being a good steward and generous with that talent for the serving of God and, and the building of his kingdom? But there are a whole, a whole host of spiritual and natural gifts. Do we eagerly desire them? The spiritual gifts, do we eagerly desire them? And I'll just lift, list off a few. Are we generous with leadership, hospitality, service, exhortation, mercy, giving, administration, discernment, faith, healing, helps, knowledge, Miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, wisdom, celibacy, martyrdom, missionary work, and voluntary poverty. These are all things that are in the New Testament, ways in which you can be gifted in natural or spiritual ways. So it's broad. You know, you might think, oh, me, I'm not talented, I'm not gifted. You know, what can I do? There are things that you can do. That list is broad. Everybody can be hospitable and welcome people into their homes. And then are you specifically gifted in those areas that we talked about in church life that you might be able to serve in? In creche, in kids, in youth, in worship, in the AV teams, in ministry, in the welcome team. Yes, we need uh, people that are just willing to shoulder up and do the work and just show up and help out. You don't have to necessarily feel, yes, I'm gifted and called by God. I'm a Bezalel in this area and I'm going to serve and see God do something. Sometimes you can just be, well, I don't particularly feel called to the creche, but... I want to serve. I see a need. I want to serve. But are you a Bezalel in some of these areas? Are you gifted and yet you're hiding those gifts under a bushel and not using them, not being generous with them? The last one, treasure. So the people gave their treasure to the building of the tabernacle. Hearts were stirred and spirits were moved and they were so generous that Moses had to tell them to stop. Too generous. We've got more than enough to do the work. Are we as generous? And the whole point of that, that story and drawing the parallels out with Jesus is that we don't want our generosity to be us-focused. Am I giving enough? Oh, you know, we want it to be Christ-focused. Let's use him as our example. He was generous to us. And, and so as a result, 
We want to be generous out of the overflow of what he's done in our lives and who he's making us to be. Turn to the person to your, on your left and say, if you don't want to give, don't give. Turn to the person on your right and tell them, if you don't want to give, don't give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Let's just set some people free today. If you're thinking, oh, I really don't, oh, I don't want to. This is too much. Oh, oh, I've, been, I've been pressured into giving this. I feel bad about it. Or you're worried about your personal... Just don't give. Just be free today. But God loves a cheerful giver. If you can be like the people in that Old Testament story where they were building that tabernacle and they bought so much out of the overflow of their hearts because their spirits were stirred, they wanted the presence of God and they wanted to move on in the vision that God had gave them. If you're so stirred and able and you want to give, then give. Hallelujah. That's amazing. Some other just, just quick stories of uh, kind of treasure and this idea of talents in the Bible, um, the parable of the talents. So this is a story where um, uh, uh, somebody was giving out talents, which was a monetary unit, to people in his service. One was given one talent, another, uh, I think it was three and five, and... Basically, the ones that were given more were good stewards of it. They used it. They, uh, they went out into the marketplace. And for their master, they bought more talents. So they were able to give twice as much as they were given back to their master. Whereas the one who was only given one talent, what did he do with it? He buried it. And the master wasn't very pleased. So some of us, I think we can, we can put off giving. We can say, I don't have anything, so uh, I, I'm not going to give. But when, you know, in 10 years' time you know, I've got some more money, then I'll start giving. Well, this story would suggest, actually, if we start with the small, then God can entrust us with more. Now, we don't want to get into prosperity gospel, weird stuff where we treat God like a slot machine. It's not like that. But there is this idea of reciprocity. And to those that are trustworthy, more will be entrusted. And a beautiful picture of this is the woman with the two mites. She only gave two coins, two tiny coins, but it was all that she had. And Jesus said that that was worth more than all of these people who are, you know, sanctimonious coming in and giving all of their gold and their their diamonds and jewels and whatever it might have been. Those two mites were worth more because it was her whole heart. She was being faithful to what she believed God was calling her to do. She was cheerful in doing it. And I'm sure God would have provided for that widow just as he provides for us when we give. Jesus warns us that we can't serve God and mammon. In the Old Testament story that we read, we heard about how they worship the golden calf. And this could be a subtle thing for us, uh, this, this idea of mammon. So you, you, you might not bow down to money uh, you know, and worship uh, this God called mammon. He is so important that he's actually got a name. But actually, are you more fussed about getting the latest iPad than you are about being generous to the church and to other people? It can be something that creeps in. And Has anyone heard of a preacher, a South African guy called PJ Smythe? Yeah. I love this guy. He's so passionate, really fired up. And he, has this, he get, brought this picture of mammon as being this big, ugly, greedy god, this god, money god, bleh, that wants to just draw you in and just make you look at him and all the things he can give you uh, with money, that he can give you a nice house, a nice car. He can tempt you with all these things, and he's just this horrible, disgusting, fat god. And then he uses the picture of uh, slaying mammon with a, a great big sword into the gut of mammon, so all his guts out and that's when he gives his offering to God he's doing that he's crucifying he's killing mammon uh, but he says that he finds that this mammon this God that he's just killed with a sword in the gut actually resurrects and for him he finds that, that happens about every 30 days so every 30 days you've just killed this mammon uh, uh, and he's back again so what does he do he keeps giving and sometimes you'll get to the point where you give regularly but you don't really feel the sacrifice anymore because you, you it's just what you do you just give straight away maybe you have a standing order set up maybe like me you do it straight through work And he just brought this challenge that actually mammon can start to creep in if we're not careful and if we're complacent. So actually, maybe you need to review, you know, your giving and say, God, I feel I've just got used to this. I'm not really making a sacrifice. The people in that Old Testament story sacrificed a lot. In today's monetary terms, people have calculated that would be roughly the materials, the the gold, the silver would be worth about 35 million pounds. 
So, I mean, that's in those days. If you add inflation onto that, you know, it's probably incalculable, uh, you know, for what it would be today. They were generous, and they gave generously. So let's not serve mammon. Amen? Let's serve God. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In closing... How can we be generous? Um, We can give a regular offering to God, whether it's a little or a lot. We can give special offerings to God. We can give to strangers. We can give to fellow believers. We can give to our enemies and in so doing, heap coals on their head and love them into a relationship with God. We can give to the poor. We can give to people in our workplaces. We can give to family and friends. But if you give, do it with this in mind, that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves KCC. Remember the picture that David bought with the two desserts? There was the big dessert, which was, you know, great, lovely, love it. And there was the smaller, delectable dessert. What, which one was it, Jackie? What type of dessert? Yogurt with blueberries and elderflower. That was the picture, that God loves us. We know we're a small church at the moment, and we've got people leaving for good reasons, like Jack. But God loves us, amen? He is passionate about us. Jesus is generous. He gave everything for us. Everything that we have actually belongs to Jesus. We're merely stewards of what he's given us. We can have this idea that actually what, you know, what I've got belongs to me, you know, and we can keep it from God. Well, no. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth and all its fullness belong to him. Every single thing is his. If, if the life is a poker game, he owns all the chips. He owns everything. So when we give, we're only giving back out of what he's already given us uh, as a gift. Allow Jesus to stir your heart today. The people in that story, that it says that they were filled with the Spirit and they were stirred in their hearts to give. That's what we want. We don't want people giving out of compulsion, people drudging up. We want cheerful givers who are stirred by the Spirit of God, who believe in the vision that God has given us to be a people of his presence, to be a loving community, and to be their hope And let's offer up the very best of our time, our talent, and treasure. Let's not give God the dregs. Oh, after I've done all my spending, you know, after all my direct debits have gone out, after I've done all my Asda shop, if there's a little bit left, right, okay, what could I give to God? Maybe a few coins on a Sunday, that will do. No, let's give God the very best of our time, talent, and treasure. And let's see Jesus lifted high and glorified in our midst as we share him and make him known in Hatfield and the surrounding towns. Amen? Amen.